Thank you all again very much for leading us and directing us, pointing our attention to Jesus and to the, the joy of our salvation and the wonders, really, of, of Christmas season. Um, yeah, it, it always uh, uh, amazes me every year um, I'll just do some searches on articles about how people experience the Christmas season. And um, uh, often, it's, you know, throughout the years, it's you know, somewhere between 35 and 45 percent of people in America um, who are surveyed say, you know, I'd just as soon skip Christmas. The, the, just the anxiety and the stress and the debt that it causes. Um, I actually uh, saw that um, 50, over 50% of Americans go in debt at Christmas time. And, and 40% it takes them about four or five months to pay it off. And a 10, 10% of Americans haven't paid off last year's Christmas yet, this, this year. And, um, and, and so they, you know, the, the, the debt and the, the pain and the, the anxiety that it causes, the stress, I'm like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. how did we get here? This is the, the Prince of Peace was born in our midst. Salvation has come, and almost half Americans say, "Yeah, let's just skip it." I, I, that doesn't make sense, given the true meaning of Christmas. Well, we got here. Part of the reason, part of the reason, was. It's uh, Martin Luther's fault. Yeah, Martin Luther was uh, um, uh, a leader in the church you know, 500 years ago. And he's sort of the founder of Lutheranism. That's why it's Luther named after him. And, and what Luther was, was doing, he brought about a lot of reform. Uh, what we call the Reformation. Um, uh, was, was centered on what he did. But what he, he, um, he, he changed for the, the Protestant church. He changed some of the dates of things. Moving away from the celebration of saints. In order, what he wanted to do was focus on Jesus. Now, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. So if you want to focus on Jesus, always do it. Um, that, that will serve us well. But um, there was a feast day for St. Nicholas on December 6th. And that was the day you know, that, that the church 500 years ago would give gifts. And, but it was a little different because St. Nicholas, he, he was the bishop in Myrna, which is in Turkey, uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, back in like 300 um, A.D., so a long time ago. And the bishop of uh, uh, and, and, and Nicholas, he, um, his parents died when uh, he was at a young age, and he inherited a lot of wealth from them. But what Nicholas did with that wealth was give it to the needs of the community throughout his life. He didn't use it for himself, but as a follower of Jesus, he used it to care for the needs that were around him. And there were a lot of needs in those days because he, he, was, he was around during some of the Roman emperors that were persecuting the church and imprisoning people and killing people because they were followers of Jesus. And so that Nicholas, he used his resources to, to protect and serve and care for the church, and that's why he became a saint. It's a, it's a good thing what he did. And there are a number of stories about him. But then Luther, though, said, let's not 
just give gifts on St. Nicholas Day. Let's do that on Jesus' birthday. And that was December um, 25th. And so let's, or the day that Jesus' birth was celebrated. So let's give gifts on that day because that's the greatest gift of all, Jesus to us. So you can see it's not, not a bad idea. We could agree with that. But the unintended consequences as things changed throughout the years and as the church grew and for us as Americans in a capitalistic economy, everything gets used to make a profit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against capitalism. If you know of a better economic system, let me know. We'll give it a try. Um, uh, but there are systems, they, they all have good things and bad things to them, and it's just the systems of our world. But what has happened for us in America today, and I think some of what feeds those statistics, is the, the religion of retail has taken over. I mean, really, um, in the early 1800s, so 200 years ago in America, Christmas was not a national holiday. It wasn't a holiday in um, half of the states of the Union at that time. It was, re- it was only, it was really celebrated by the church and not by the larger public, um, which is a whole other uh, sermon um, and conversation. So, but if what happened as things moved, as economic forces came into play, and more and more things wanted to be used and leveraged for profit, what we find as we look back in our, our history um, as a, a nation, as a church in the United States, we find a lot of things that, are, that were there and around, but where they really became big, where they really um, exploded on the scene, was because of retail. Um, For example, it was F.W. Woolworth. Now, many of you don't know Woolworths. It it was the modern day, it was the previous day's Walmart. It was was Walmart in the 1800s. And it was F.W. Woolworth who brought Christmas ornaments. And, may, and marketed them and made them into the you know, multi-million dollar business that they are today. And again, nothing against Christmas ornaments. Love them. Got them. You know, buy them and sell them. And that's okay. But just got to recognize the history that we celebrate and where it, where it comes from. Um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That can be tied back to a book that was published by our own Macy's. And the real movement and change over the course of the last 200 years of that jolly old elf is based on a Twas the Night Before Christmas poem and some clever marketing by Coca-Cola about 100 years ago. That, that really is when that took... And again, I not those, those things aren't evil. Those things aren't of the, the, the devil. They're, those are there. They're, they're what they are. The, the point for us as the church, as those who follow Jesus Christ, are we formed, are we formed more by his word or by the world? You know, it's our, our focus, our attention, our habits that we develop in this season of Christmas. Is it formed by these forces of the world or by the forces of the Holy Spirit? 
Because obviously our desire, our desire is to be formed by the Spirit, to be formed by the Word, to be the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't expect the world to be formed by Jesus. They don't claim to be followers of Jesus. I don't expect them to be formed by it. But for us, who are gathering this morning in the name of Jesus, wanting to celebrate His birth, we have to be sure that we're, for, that we're in the world but not of it, as Jesus said. And it's always... I mean, this has been a, this has been a good exercise for me to say, right, how am I formed by Jesus? And, and often, we can get sidetracked. I Man, we can start telling... You get mad because people don't say Merry Christmas. Like I said, I don't care if people who don't know Jesus say Merry Christmas or don't. I care if we're following Him. If if we're being formed by Him. That's the question that we need to address. And and the focus that we need to have is not what the the world's doing, but what we're doing. And are we formed by His Spirit? That's where we are. Because the divine design... The divine design for Christmas is quite different than what the world has made it to be. It is a day of subtle, small, humble beginnings. We're going to take a look at a few passages that really point that out and bring that to the fore. And what I want us to do is just really concentrate, be saturated in the Word and in that, the humble beginnings of Jesus at Christmas. So let's, let's pray together. Almighty God, thank You for Your written Word. Thank You as it speaks to us of Your truth. And we need Your Holy Spirit to continue to work in us, to grant us wisdom so that we are formed by Your Word and not the ways of the world. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so, so first, um, Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. It's one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And we'll see that from Jesus' birthplace, from the beginning, this has been God's design. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. Um, and we're just saying, really, about this. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace." So even from the beginning, Jesus was to be born in, from this little clan in this little podunk town, Bethlehem. I mean, it, it's, it, it's not New York, it's not L.A., it's not Chicago or Houston. I mean, if you're planning to make a splash in the world, those are one of the four places. You've got to do it one of those places. You've got you to gotta do it. Marshal the forces in Hollywood. You've got to get the places in, in place. You, you can't do it in the, the little, humble podunk Places, but yet that is the birthplace of God in the flesh, the little town of Bethlehem. 
And then his birth, the, the, the story of his birth, it, it continues to, to demonstrate this humility of God in how he comes on the scene. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Now, we, we meet this story in the middle. You can go back and read the first part of Luke 1, and it tells you about Mary and Joseph and how God has told them. You know, they were engaged. They hadn't been married yet. And the angels have said, you're, Mary, you're going to have the, the son. You're going to have God the son um, in you. And so they're, they're not yet married. They're engaged, and Mary has Jesus in her womb. And we pick it up here. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. All right, so... Here's how God chooses to enter the world as a human. He chooses this engaged couple who are a part of an oppressed people. They, They are occupied by Roman forces. They are under their rule. They're also, we find out a little later, they're actually in the economic lower class because of the, the um, offerings they bring on the eighth day when they go to the temple with, with their son. And now they're in, um, they are in this chaotic situation, this tumultuous situation, that they're unmarried yet pregnant, a very compromising situation. And now they're having to go to Bethlehem, um, just the, the, the two of them, and they find there's no room in the inn. The best thing they can come up with is Airbnb um, little farm, a little stable in a cave with some animals. That, that's going to be the birthing room for God in the flesh. And his crib, well, well his, his layette, the clothes uh, that he's going to be wearing are little cloths and towels that are hanging around the, the stable. And so that's what we're going to clothe him in. And then his, his, his uh, bassinet, his, his crib, his, his first place to lay his head is going to be in the feeding trough of a donkey. 
And the first visitors that he has, they're not royalty. They're shepherds. So they're the weird ones that hang out in the fields by themselves with a bunch of sheep. They're the honored first visitors. And then the other ones that honored a little later are astrologers from the Far East who've come to see him. This is the birth story of God. A humble, small beginning. But I think that this shows, well, one, it shows the very character of God. It shows the humility of God. His very character is humility. And for Jesus, in the fullness of his humanity, he needed to be formed in that humility. He needed to be formed in that, that place of humility because that's what his life was going to call for at every turn. Because he was one who came not to be served, but to serve. Isaiah 53, um, again, you see this to the divine design. It's the very nature of God. It's how he's going to come on the scene. And Isaiah 53 gives us a a picture of what God in the flesh is going to be like um, when he's to come. Barry, you got Isaiah 53? So again, like Micah, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, the Messiah, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Jesus couldn't be, he couldn't grow up in a setting in his humanity that he would in any way feel entitled to anything, but entitled to serve his Father in heaven and to love those that are around him. And we, we see that lived out in Jesus' life. So, I mean, he had to be born in humility, formed in that setting, and in that place, so that then he could live into the fullness. And the Apostle Paul says it well, as he's quoting from one of the, the poems of the ancient church, the first century church in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it wasn't just his beginning, but it was his whole life then that lived, is formed, is characterized by this humility, this, this servant love that Jesus had. And, and you see it in a number of other places. We won't turn there or look there, but Matthew 4. You can take a look at that um, uh, later today um, when you have opportunity. And those are the, the temptations of Jesus, where the, the, the devil comes before Jesus to tempt him. 
to, to tempt him against this way of the Father, to tempt him to, 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 stir, to move a little away from this point of being a servant, of being, of being uh, living in, in humility. He, he, he wants him to take a shortcut. He says, listen, this, this is the way to get to popularity. This is the way to really have influence. This is the, the way to, to really make changes, Jesus. So why don't you, you know, take these stones right here, which are just used for pavement and stuff. Take these, let's turn them into bread. So the, the, the devil tells you, turn them into bread, and then, and you can feed the world. You can feed yourself. You can feed the world. And, and Jesus says, no, man does not live by bread alone. And he refuses that temptation uh, to be popular, to, to, to have the, the need right there, to be relevant in that moment. He refuses it because he's following the timing of his father, not the evil one. And in another, one of the other temptations, he says, listen, Jesus, come this way. You go to the top of the temple. Because at the top of the temple, there'll be a lot of people around it. You know, a lot of people gather. And you go to the top, and, and he quotes some scripture the devil does. He says, you know, it, the, God will take care of you if you jump from there. He, he promises to, to save you. And, and so if you do that, then, you know, everyone will see, and then, then you will have influence and power. That's the way to enter into the world. You know, so come and... Come up there and jump down. And, and Jesus says, no. That's not the way of the Father. We're not to put the Father to the test. We're to obey Him. So throughout His life, you, you see this. Because there's, uh, you also see in Matthew on a number of different occasions where Jesus would either move away from the crowds or send the crowds away. I mean, you would, you would think at the highest point of popularity would be the point now. No, the, the iron's hot, baby. You've got to hit it now. You've got to take it. And Jesus would say after feeding 5,000, okay, y'all go away now. I need to go be with the Father. So how do, do we celebrate this, live into this, during Christmas. Now, how do we renew our minds by, by focusing on the, the very character of Jesus in this season so that, that around the incarnation and the humility and the, the sacrificial love of God, that that becomes what we celebrate and what we live into? I mean, our charge together is to take responsibility for how we celebrate the, the high seasons that focus on the pinnacles of the life of Jesus. I mean, we don't want to skip Christmas. No, we, we want to live into its fullness according to the ways of the character of Jesus. Because, you know, yes, I mean, there, there's humility, there, there's subtlety here, there, but there's also eternal truths. This is the most significant birth in the history of creation. Because the angels were speaking. Now, you want to say, well, wait a minute, how subtle is that? Uh, I don't know that any of you heard angels speaking at uh, the birth of your children. Some of you may have, but it might have been medically induced. Who, who knows? But the angels were speaking. But even that is, is a point of the subtlety and the humility. Because where did the angels speak? Shouldn't it, been, shouldn't it have been in the temple square? 
Yeah, in Jerusalem, at least. Somewhere on a street corner in Jerusalem. No, the angels spoke in rural Bethlehem. <laughs> you know, way outside where the, the sheep outnumbered the humans a hundred to one. That was not good marketing. You know, that was, that was really you know, a wasted opportunity uh, for publicity there to just come to the shepherds. And the star, I mean, all right, a star in the sky, let's have some fireworks. No, it was some subtle star that only these eastern astrologers who were studying the sky noticed were there. And they then came and followed. So to even the magnificence of the greatest birth in history is done in a way that is humble. I mean, the truth of eternity and the power of love is demonstrated and the angels speaking and the star shining. So this Advent, for us, and every Advent, for every Christmas, I mean, we're, we're always learning, we're always growing. We're never going to come up with a tradition that doesn't ultimately become God as a tradition. You know, we're going to form new traditions and new habits so that we are regularly focusing on Jesus during this time, but there comes times when those traditions need to change because the tradition has taken the place of Jesus. That, that's just called human. That's just how we, we work. So what I'm, I'm challenging us to is to, to consider, reconsider again. Right, how are we celebrating together? How are you celebrating together? And what is it that, that, like the stats at the beginning, that get in the way from the season? And what really helps lead us to marvel at the manger, at the humility of God? I don't want to get precious moments and sentimental on you. But this is the season to to really take a look at what is deep and what is real. What is eternal. What truly brings joy to your soul. What truly brings meaning and purpose. What truly brings joy to the heart of God. Yeah, let's give. And let's give in a way that doesn't fulfill some cultural obligation, but let's give in a way that is filled by the Holy Spirit that brings joy to the heart of God. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's presence, whatever it might be. You know, let's, but let's give in those ways. And at every present that we open, every gift we receive may be a reminder of the greatest gift of all. And let's take this time to be together, to play together, to, to celebrate together, to enjoy the gifts of one another that God has given to us. Be, be looking. Be looking for the star. Be listening for the angels that continue to pray, pro, proclaim good news. And may it form in us as we marvel at the manger a humility, an awe, a trust that only comes from encountering the Word of God. Let every, let every gift we receive this season be a reminder of the humility of Jesus. And may we be overwhelmed with gratitude of what we receive from Him. 
that we are here only because of his goodness, of his grace, of his mercy. That's the only way I I know that, that we grow in humility is simply coming and marveling in worship at Jesus' feet. The one who is humble, the one who was a, a servant, the one who sacrifices for our salvation, for our benefit. Let's, then in this season, let's receive from him and make him the center of our attention. Let's refuse the pressures that, that, that culturally can be put upon us. I don't know what, what we need to do, to, what you need to do to give those away, to let those go. And let's, which was Luther's good idea, let us focus on Jesus so that we walk in the freedom of his humility. Amen.